If you listen to the show for any amount of time, you know that I do have a merch store or two, and I don't generally push my merch because I don't feel comfortable hitting you guys up for money. But if you're listening to me on anything resembling a regular basis, you probably laugh at the same things I do. You probably think a lot of the same things I do. So why don't you go check out HorribleDesigns.com. They have assorted merchandise with funny comments on it, funny t-shirts, funny mouse pads, funny coffee cups, and then some stuff that maybe not necessarily so funny, but is definitely relevant, whether it's a social opinion, an economic opinion, a stance on you know things like veganism or whether or not you need essential oils in your life. So yeah, anyway, that's my little plug. I have some of their shirts. They're comfortable. They're cool. I like them. HorribleDesigns.com. Go check it out. The podcast you are about to listen to contains at least one of the following. Strong language, disturbing topics, abusive opinions, generally things that aren't appropriate for little kids or overly sensitive people. So if any of that stuff's going to get your nose out of joint, this is your chance to turn it off. Welcome to I Had to Say It, the podcast where I talk about things that I feel need talking about, and sometimes they're not getting the attention they deserve. And your feelings, they're not under consideration. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of I Had to Say It. Let's get the housekeeping out of the way. I want to thank the supporters of the show. That would be Josh, Jake, B-Word, and the Iceman over on Patreon, and Jason and Miss Aaron through Buy Me a Coffee. Thank you guys for the continued ex- support. I appreciate you. I promise I will try and do better by you guys this year. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's uh, that's pretty much the housekeeping. Oh, um, as a, uh, I'm like setting an official date, so I have to hold myself to it. Barring any really serious unforeseen circumstance type shit, the first live episode of 2023 will be Sunday, January 29th at... 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. I'm looking to go about an hour, hour and a half. Depends on how things are going to go. We'll see how it plays out. If we're having a lot of fun, might lose track of time. Might go longer. Who knows? And, uh, yeah, so that is going to be, again, Sunday the 29th, uh, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And if you want to be involved in this, it's probably going to be pretty lame if it's just me talking to myself. I've got a couple people that uh, may be... Uh, coming on as guests. I just got to get final confirmations now that I've actually picked the date. And if you would like to be involved in it, you want to, you know, slot a few minutes to come on, just talk for a few minutes or be involved or be part of the show all day or whatever. Uh, just, you know, shoot me an email, uh, drop me a message, get a hold of me through one of the socials, whatever. And I will get back to you and we will set something up. So yeah, that is all the housekeeping I have for the moment. All right. So this week I want to talk a little bit about just kind of the state of the world. I mean, I know that's what most of the episodes are, me rambling on or bitching about whatever particular wild hair I have up my butt. But at the moment, there's there's a lot of stuff going on, and, you know, some of it's really, as much as I hate to say it, it's really crossing into, like, tinfoil hat territory. And unfortunately, there's not a whole lot we can do about it because it is what it is. And one of the things that's going to be coming up in the coming week is going to be the World Economic Forum is going on. Now, for those of you who don't know, without going too far into it, this is one of those things that's like massive in the conspiracy theory world. And they're not wrong. I mean, 
it, it what it is is it's a bunch of the world's the global elites, the richest sons of bitches on the planet, and a bunch of a select group of other you know like billionaires and politicians and a bunch of people that are brought together, and they basically they like their stated goals are to decide the course of the future of humanity. A lot of them are depopulist. A lot of them, which goes into the whole conspiracy theory territory. They've been quoted as saying things like, you will own nothing and you will be happy. And you will, you know, they're saying that people will be eating bugs. And pretty much every ridiculous fucking thing you can think of has come from these people. And by and wide, as like in America, as a culture, we're not really willing to accept that. And they, but I mean, things are so massive when these people are so connected and so rich and it. It's it's that whole community is a very incestuous vibe. They only they only associate with their own. So, but these are like the richest people on the planet, the most influential members of the world, coming together and trying to decide the course of humanity, basically. And yeah, I don't see anything good coming from it. And you get all those like all the names that are thrown out there that are huge money players that are brought up every time somebody's talking about subverting democracy or one world government and all this other shit. A lot of things that America doesn't supposedly stand for, uh, like Klaus Schwab and uh, George Soros and these fucking guys, they're involved in this, and that's one of the reasons nobody... <laughs> that's that's why they, their names come up so regularly in conspiracy theories, and a lot of it's really not that far off the mark. These are ridiculously wealthy, influential individuals that think they are better than everybody else and deserve, they they have like a, a sense of entitlement where they should be ruling over us and think they should be dictating how the world is run. And uh, yeah, they, they, they it's going on in Switzerland and they have like, they hired like an extra 5,000 cops for security for this thing. And you don't bring in an basically an entire division of armed guards if you don't think some shit's going to go on. And that's one of the things about the world we live in at the moment is a lot of this stuff has been kind of dragged into the light. And I think part of it is they didn't get the reception they were expecting. They have, when you're that rich, I, 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 it's, I don't know how you think you can identify with the common man. I'm sure they think they do. I think they think they know what's best and they're, they're going to just be embraced with open arms as these wonderful, you know, these are the guys we should listen to. And... That's really not how the common man feels because your average person doesn't like being told what to do. They don't like being told they're not going to have anything. They don't like being told that all their work is for the betterment of, a, of an elite few. They really don't want to hear that they need to be phased out because the they, these elite assholes have decided the planet's overpopulated. And the only way to do anything about it is to reduce the population by, you know, uh, some ridiculous number of billions of people they want to see dead. So, and a lot of that ties into, you know, things that went back to COVID conspiracies, that it's a way of sterilizing people, it's a way of killing off a massive portion of the population. And, I mean, the more you listen to these guys, it doesn't sound like something they'd be all that opposed to. It's really kind of hard to argue against this, you know, international cabal of ultra-elitist assholes who think the world needs to be purged. And, uh, yeah, so that's going on this week. Meanwhile, here in the States, you know, inflation is still through the roof. Eggs are ridiculous. I mean, I think it's, I've seen them anywhere up to like $6 a dozen where I am, which is 
it used to be how much like the fancy organic eggs cost. And I've heard places where they're as much as $8 a dozen now. And that's it's ridiculous. And, you know, part of it, yes, there's been a big avian flu outbreak this year. And it's been going on for a couple of years now. And I'm sure it has nothing to do with any potential mutations from the fucking engineered pandemic we just got through. Um, yeah, and again, the conspiracy theorists, it's another point for them, you know, all, as all this stuff's being released, it's basically coming out that, yeah, it was engineered in a lab in China, and uh, it's a man-made virus at this point, and there was gain-of-function research and all this other shit, and yeah, it's just, it's not a good thing, but, and, uh, you know, the, all the all of us that are living lab rats right now dealing with the jab, and we don't know what kind of consequences that's going to have because, you know, we're s- still going to the bathroom in the sewers. Bacteria is still getting passed out. Who knows what else is going on? This is, we're in kind of undiscovered country territory here. So now a little inside information that may not be real common with this whole avian flu thing that's going on. It's not like this is the first time bird flu outbreaks have happened. Bird flu ho- outbreaks happen every so often. It's, I mean, it's just like any other form of flu. It mutates, it comes back. Normally, the way they deal with it is these massive cullings. They kill off entire farms sometimes. And then the farmers bring in new chicks to stock or eggs to incubate and hatch. And they it, there's usually a recovery period. And we were under the impression that that was going to happen last year. And there was going to be a, a cull. There was a massive culling. I mean, billions of hens have been killed off at this point which is why chicken's so expensive, which is why eggs are through the fucking roof. You know, at least that's part of the reason. There's also the compounded, you know, supply chain issues and all these other fuck-ups that are directly without, I'm trying to not be too political this year, but without getting too much into it. Yeah, all these supply chain issues that people like to blame all the problems of the country on, they keep saying it like it's not the government's fault these issues got to be where they're at in the first place. I mean, I've seen apologists for both sides basically saying that you know, inflation is terrible because of supply chain and blah, 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 and corporations are greedy. Corporations are trying to recover from being fucked for the last couple of years. And yes, they are greedy. But that's it's not that simple that they're just artificially inflating demand to make the price go up. It's not that fucking simple. There are ridiculous amounts of inflation due to the... You want to get rid of inflation, the best thing we could do is fucking disband the Fed. But again, I'm not going to get too political on this. I'm, I'm trying to talk about the eggs. One of the problems with the current outbreak of avian flu is all these huge industrial farming situations, they treated the outbreak as they normally would. Kill off the flock, sterilize and sanitize the environment, bring in new 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 chicks, get your hens back up to maturity, start getting eggs laid, start getting meat processed. Problem is, it didn't work this time. The flu, after the cullings, came back. Normally that doesn't happen. They they react, they kill off everything that was exposed to it potentially, they sterilize the fuck out of the environments, they bring in new stock. They brought in the new stock and they got the fucking avian flu again. And the outbreak resurfaced. So it's not going away. It's it's reactive, it's mutating faster, it's getting worse, for lack of a better way of putting it. Which is why chicken prices are going to keep going up, availability is going to keep going down, egg prices are going to go through the roof because they don't have the laying hens to get the eggs. And the eggs they are getting need to be incubated and hatched to produce more hens to replenish inventory. You know, basic kind of supply and demand stuff. 
And it's not just that we're seeing it there, but that's the most glaringly obvious instant right now. Milk is going up to like, milk is like almost $6 a gallon now. And it's understandable. But a lot of people, too, are trying to kind of blame it on either the supply chain, like I said, or I've heard people bitching about the farmers and all this other shit saying the price shouldn't be going up so much and these farmers are just being, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the thing about that is a lot of the farmers, and I've seen different videos from different farmers, you know, TikTok posts, social media posts, yada, 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 all that bullshit, which is how we harvest a lot of information these days, where the problem isn't necessarily that there's not the hens to be laying in some, and, and, and this is not in all places, not in all cases, but in a lot of situations, the farmers aren't selling eggs because they're not they're not filling they're not replenishing their supplies. Not only because they need to replenish their supplies of hens, but also apparently a lot of the processing plants aren't willing to pay them an adjusted rate because they're trying to you know hold them to contracts and things like that where it doesn't account for the increased cost of fuel. It doesn't account for the fact that they had to completely redo their stock. So instead of paying them a fair price for the product, they're saying, look, this is what you'll take and you'll like it. And they're expecting these farmers to lose their asses on all of their stock. Now, in America, that's actually more common than you might think because a lot of farmers get government subsidies. There are stories out there, and they're true, of farmers plowing under fields because it was more profitable for them to destroy it and file a claim with the government than it was for them to take it to market. Farmers pouring out hundreds of gallons of milk because... The price they would get for selling it wasn't as much as they would get for a claim filed with the government to subsidize their farm for the year. It's not necessarily their fault. They have to do what is best for their business and what is best to support their family and their employees and everything else. I understand the logic behind it, but the fact that that situation exists is you know, symptomatic of a bigger problem, and it's something that we really need to look at and address. And... So that's just something we need to, again, I, I, I push certain things that I believe will help make everybody's lives better in the long run. I honestly believe you need to diversify your income sources. I honestly believe you're going to be happier if you can figure out a way to be your own boss or to work minimally and have as much supplemental income coming from independent sources as you can. So you're insulated a little bit more. You have that little bit of cushion. And... I'm going to keep pushing for that kind of mentality. And I'm going to try and, I mean, I, I'm personally, I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm rich. I'm not, do, I'm doing okay. I'm doing better than a lot of people. I'm not doing nearly as well as I would like to be. I'm not doing nearly as well as a lot of people I know. I know plenty of people my own age, younger than me, that are doing significantly better than I am from a purely monetary standpoint. I mean, you got the intangibles and all the other things that are factors too. But overall, I'm just saying, from a fiscal standpoint, a lot of people out there are probably doing better than me and probably going, why the fuck would anybody want to listen to you? And not to be an asshole, but if that's the situation, you don't need to listen to me. Go ahead. Turn the episode off. Skip forward. Whatever. Or stick around. I mean, there's never any harm. I don't care how well off you are. Some of the things I talk about, particularly in when I'm out there trying to figure out shortcuts or ways around or... You know, little tips that I think will help you either save some money or just get a better quality of situation going on. By all means, you don't just if you're well, if you're financially well off, that doesn't mean you can't still be careful, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't still be smart with your expenditures. 
That's how you stay financially well off, but you probably don't need me to tell you that if you're doing that well. But, so after the break, we're going to stick an ad in here, try and get that penny. Um, we're going to come back and I'm going to discuss a, a couple of little tips for just kind of coping with some of the bullshit that's going on and what's coming down the pipe. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. All right, so thanks for sitting through that. I don't, I don't know other dynamic ads, I guess, now. Um, so I don't know what you heard, but hopefully it wasn't anything that was too patently annoying or f- offensive. And so now I'm going to talk about, like I said, with inflation going through the roof, the cost of groceries going up, there are things you can do to try and you know stretch your dollar, to try and make the situation a, a little less painful. And um, a lot of them, you know, they're things, I I spent a large portion of my life, you know, having to stretch every single dollar till George Washington was fucking crying. You learn a lot of coping techniques with that. And a lot of these things, a lot of people already know them, uh, particularly if you've been, if you're like not new poor, if you're like old school poor, you probably know a lot of this shit already and... It's still something worth going over and discussing, a little bit at least. So honestly, one of the first things you can do to try and really stretch your food budget, because that's kind of what this is about, this episode is going to kind of focus on, because that's a very real thing. I went to the grocery store last weekend and literally spent our entire month's food budget, and we didn't even get everything we're going to need, much less all the shit we usually get, all the extra stuff, we are very much shifted over to a bare-bones approach. That's just what we got to do. That's what we all have to do. That's the economy. That's the days we're facing. And so one of the first things that, and this may sound kind of stupid and ridiculous, one of the first things you really need to do if you want to start really making your food budget work for you as much as possible, you got to learn to cook. Now, you don't have to become a master at it. You don't need to be great. You just need to to get to the basics down because processed food costs so much more than buying the actual ingredients yourself and putting in a little time to actually make the meal. And yeah, I get it. The convenience of having things that are just, you know, add water and pop in the oven or take something out of the freezer and throw it in the microwave or throw it in the oven or whatever you're going to do. And... So particularly the quality has gotten so much better over the years than like when I was a kid and anything that came out of the freezer or anything that came out of a box was kind of just blech. And some things don't change either, like you know, top ramen and things like that. There's basic 26 cent a pack ramen is still, it's, it hasn't changed in a, probably 100 years because it doesn't need to. It is what it is. It knows what it is. It doesn't try to be anything it's not. And if you're feeling froggy, you can get the cup of soup noodles for like 50 cents a pack now, which they've gone up. But what can you do? And Or 49 cents. Anyway, I digress. And those are a little more. They got some dehydrated vegetables in there, so they're a little more fancy. But you're still just getting 
flavored broth and noodles, basically. And it'll sustain you. It'll keep you going. It's, 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 it will keep calories in your belly. It will keep your body operating. But it's not nutritionally balanced. You can't live on stuff like that for any extended amount of time and maintain any kind of health. You know, you want to have a decent quality of life, too. You don't want to just be surviving. You want to be living. So that's my first piece of advice. Do some basics. Learn how to make some basic meals. There's a lot of basic meals that are not that hard to prepare. They can be done with minimal equipment, one or two pots. You know, one-pot meals are one of my favorite things to make. I'm saying this as a 27-year culinarian. I love one-pot meals. I love stuff that can be slow-cooked in like a crock pot or on the stovetop all day, just slow and low and let it go. And when you're ready to eat, there's a satisfying meal that's going to fill you up, nourish your body, make you feel warm and fuzzy because with very minimal tweaks, you can get that nice umami fullness that's going to create a satisfying end result. My advice to you is, like I said, learn to cook. Learn the fucking basics. Learn how to make one-pot meals. Learn how to make crock-pot meals. If you don't have a lot of time, if you don't have a lot of resources, if you don't feel like you can do it, that's where you start. Now, to start in this process, there's a lot of things you can do. You can, like, find this show. I'm going to start putting a lot more food-related stuff up. Uh, I'm going to start trying to post more stuff to the website. So you can go to the website and get recipes and there's there's the discord server you can go on there and ask me questions directly i really am i'm a i'm a i'm a long time chef i know a lot of stuff and i don't know everything i'm not a master at anything but i know a lot of things and what i don't know i know how to find i have an entire floor to ceiling bookshelf of cookbooks that i can look stuff up and i'm happy to help people for the most part i mean if you're a complete douche that's a different story but but i'm i digress i'm getting myself sidetracked again if you need to learn to cook and finances are tight, which is kind of the whole point of this conversation, and you want to do it, there are literally tens of thousands of instructional videos on YouTube. You, you're going to get pop-ups. You're going to get ads because anybody that's got any kind of viewership and monetizes through YouTube, because everything's about monetization these days. Everything's about a hustle. That's why I have a Patreon and buy me a coffee because... It's literally the only way anything any of the stuff I do brings in any funds in. Nobody buys any of the merch. Nobody uh, really has shown any interest in any of that stuff. And maybe someday I'll get a designer and get some good-looking shit instead of the crap I have now. But, again, I digress. Um, yeah, there are a ton of videos on YouTube that will walk you through step-by-step. Step. There's some really good stuff. There's some also rands out there. There's some absolutely horrible ones. I have some channels I would be more than happy to recommend if you're interested. I'm not going to sit here and just plug a bunch of other, you know, YouTube feeds and all this other shit. Um, because that's not the point of this. There there are, point is you can find them. Personally, I try to avoid anything that is like a food blog or any of that stuff because I, I spend a lot of time looking up recipes and looking up different ways to tweak things. It's part of my job. But... One of my pet peeves is I hate it when it's like, all I want is a recipe. Oh, I need I need an authentic, you know, Polish uh, three-bean salad recipe or something like that. And I'll Google Polish three-bean salad recipe. And it's like, well, here's my homemade three-bean salad recipe. When I was a little girl growing up in the foothills of Bavaria, and it's a 25-page fucking story to get to a six-ingredient recipe. 
So you're going to have to wade through some of that shit. But like I said, I try and avoid anything with food blogs, stuff like that, you know, allrecipes.com, tasty.com, things like that, where it's they're going to give you big indices of recipes. It's like like your grandma's note cards in digital format. So that's a, that's an option out there. And like I said, there's YouTube videos with instructions on how to do things. Some of them are actually really good. And, I mean, there's if you can't even do it, go with celebrities. Go with the people you know. Go with famous names. Go, go Gordon Ramsay's got all kinds of social media shit out there you can look up. Um, granted, I don't think a lot of it's instructional, but he, Gordon Ramsay will tell you how to scramble an egg and make it perfect. And I know he, I know he's got some videos out there. He's probably got a whole bunch. I've never really looked too deeply into it, but the resources are there. And very occasionally I'll... Just because I want to, I'll see an article headline that sounds like a different way to do something. I'm always trying to find new ways to do shit. Because, like I said, I don't know everything and I don't pretend like I do. I'm more than willing to learn new things if it's advantageous. I, so that's the first step. You have to be able to make your own food, it helps immensely when it comes to cutting cost. That pre prepared stuff is expensive and mass produced food. It's consistent. The whole point of mass-produced food is it's consistent. You always know what you're going to get. That doesn't necessarily mean you're always going to get what you want. So knowing how to cook, even if things do change, and all of a sudden you can go back to buying pre-made meals, you may not want to after you learn how to make your own stuff because there is something uniquely satisfying about eating a dish that you prepared and having it be exactly what you wanted. And uh, once you start learning how to do that, you, you may never want to go back to you know pre-made shit. Or you might, and then just get better about doctoring it up. Like certain things, I still buy cases of those fucking ramen noodle packs because I'm entirely... T- do I know how to make noodles from scratch? Yes, I do. Am I going to do that? No, fuck no. That's a lot of goddamn work. I will buy a pack of ramen noodles, use my own broth instead of the seasoning packets, or so sometimes I'll use my broth and the seasoning packets because MSG is good. It's delicious. It brings the umami. It brings you that satiated, delicious feeling. But yeah, I go out of my way. I make I make extra protein to put in there. I saute off fresh vegetables. I marinate soft boiled eggs in, in in a marinade, so I have eggs in my fucking ramen that are authentic. And none of it's hard. It just it takes a little time. It takes a little planning ahead. It's all real easy to do. And you take that twenty six cent pack of ramen, put about three dollars worth of ingredients in, in, into it, and you've got meals for two people now granted it might be a little more than three dollars if you do the eggs now because like i said you know eight dollars a dozen so (laughs) what the fuck that's like 75 cents an egg but anyway again being able to do that will greatly enhance your meals enhance your enjoyment of your meals so you're not just eating to live you're actually dining and you'll be saving a lot of money in the long run to get better nutritional quality you know, macronutrients, micronutrients, all that stuff is much more betterly balanced when it's made fresh. And it's not because a lot of that stuff doesn't hold up under processing. And that's something I can say as somebody who knows stuff about this industry. That's one of the major problems with processing processed foods is the processing process strips some of the nutrients out, adds in other shit that you don't necessarily need in your system. So you want to be healthier, eat more minimally processed products. That means get your whole muscle meats, get your fresh garden vegetables, 
uh, avoid canned shit because it's real high in sodium, and a lot of the nutrients are cooked out of it. Of you know, if you gotta if you gotta use pre-processed vegetables, flash frozen is better. IQF, individually quick frozen vegetables, they retain more nutrients than anything in a can. Now that's not to say you shouldn't have some canned shit on the shelves. Uh, tomato products are fine in a can. Beans, you know, even vegetables have keep some as a backup. Uh, Buy a couple cans every time you go to the store and then stick them in your pantry and forget they're there. Just in case shit goes sideways, you got something to fall back on. In case there's, if you're somewhere where it snows, if there's a blizzard and you can't get out to the store for three fucking days, that stuff in your pan, your power goes out. That stuff in your pantry will still be edible. You know, I mean, granted, you might have to light a fire to cook it, but it will still be edible. And realistically, most canned stuff you can actually eat from canned state because it's been processed enough to kill any bacteria where it won't be dangerous for you to eat it out of the can, even if it's cold and shitty. But that's a survival thing. That's not a living thing. The next uh, next option is you can always take some cooking classes. There are literally dozens of places where you can go for continuing edu- education cooking classes. You can go to, there are junior colleges, there are culinary colleges, there are, and they teach like individual classes where it's like, oh, we're going to teach you how to make broth. And that's something I was actually trying to do at one point in my career, but it didn't wind up panning out for whatever reason. I couldn't get the college to sign off on me teaching these adult education classes where it was going to be like individual rounds. So um, that's an option. You can, there are restaurants. There are places that sell. I mean, I don't know how much, I don't know how much they made it through COVID, but there used to be places where they would sell really nice kitchenware to you know bougie upper class people, and they would have cooking demos with all the stuff where they would hire like freelance chefs to come in and teach these like eight or 10 or 12 peoples how to use this new shit they just bought to make fancy meals. And, uh, yeah, those things do exist. You can find them online. You just got to do a little bit of looking or you can find some guy who maybe has a podcast and offers virtual cooking lessons. It will teach you how to do shit via the internet. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, yeah, but honestly, that that is a real thing. It's not just me trying to shill my own services. There are people out there that will teach you virtual instruction courses on how to prepare food and different things. And uh, I'm actually, now that I've got a better idea of how to do this, I'm working on getting a setup together to record some actual cooking demos that I'm going to be uploading behind the paywall. So uh, the patrons at least will be able to check that out. And um <laughs> To the other chefs who may be behind my paywall, you're more than welcome to make fun of my technique. I will, I can take it. You're not going, you're not going to hurt my feelings. But yeah, and that's something I'm, st- I'm still kind of working on the logistics of it. But it is definitely in the pipe because I had to do something similar for work, and I figured why not kill two birds with one stone? And and once I know how to do it, I can do it for myself and put that out there for you guys. But yeah, there are different ways to learn how to cook. Learn just, you know, like I said, you don't have to become a master at it. Just learn the basics. Now, the next thing that goes along with the basics is sourcing your your products. It's it's a massive pain in the ass, but it's a, f- a fact of the beast. Sometimes you can't just say like with the economy tanking and the supply chain issues, it's not just a case of well, I can just go to my local grocery store and it's my one-stop shop anymore. Some things you're not going to be able to find. Some things you're not going to get the best price on. And and this isn't always an option. Some people don't have multiple choices. But like me, I go to our grocery shopping ordeal is it's three different stores we go to. We know what we're getting from each store. Certain things like 
know, toiletries, soap, shampoo, um, ra- random crap. Uh, we we go to like Walmart for a lot of our groceries. We go get from Aldi's because that works fantastically because. All these has some pretty good product and, you know, I mean, yeah, you get some weird off-brand type stuff, but the quality is there because all these actually adheres to European quality standards, which are higher than most American quality standards. So, yeah, you may not recognize the names, but most of that stuff's going to be pretty damn solid. And I don't, can't speak for every all these. I can only speak for the one that I go to, but their meat prices have been consistently, like, lower than a lot of the grocery stores around here. So... You have to start <laughs> broadening your scope. You have to start looking around. Now, another aspect of that is, and again, this is something that I'm, I may have touched on in one of my previous uh, episodes. I'm really, I just don't have it in me to go look through the back catalog to see if I covered this or not. But there are alternate places you can go shopping to. Uh, there are different organizations, uh, you know, like Christian charity organizations, uh there's an organization called the Helping Hands or Hands of Hope, uh, something like that. I forget what it is. Where um, I believe it's Hands of Hope. It's when I was furloughed and unemployed and had no real income for almost a year. It's one of those things I found out about just uh, because people wanted to help me out and said, "Hey, have you checked this place out?" And it's actually <laughs> I went there and it it in a very real way saved a lot of stress and headache because we were able to get groceries there because it's like product that's donated from grocery stores and things like that. And it's not bad product. It's not like, you know, anything really ridiculous, but there's no guarantees of what's going to be on the shelves when you get there. They have some stuff that, and some stuff, you know, where it's like, you've got three days till it's got the use by date on it and things like that. But, you know, it's not necessarily bad. And that's another thing it's a survival skill. You learn to identify expiration dates are not an exact science. It's <laughs> that may bother some people to hear, you know, a, a self-proclaimed culinary professional, but you know, at this point, like I said, 27 years, I think I got a, a little bit of a right to call myself a professional at this point. Even if I'm not saying expert, I am a professional, but like I said, those sell by dates, use by dates, they're, they're guidelines. They're not hard and fast. So you you might want to start really considering, are you doing yourself a disservice because your milk says tomorrow's date on it, so you pour it all down the drain tonight because you know you're not going to drink it tomorrow? No. that's Like I said, it's kind of a rule of thumb. you got to play it a little bit by ear. You take a sniff. You smell it. You taste a little bit of it to make sure it's not soured. That there, there is no magic formula that allows these people to say exactly at what point things are going to go bad. It doesn't, like I said, it, I mean, there are so many variables. There could be, you know, some sort of random contamination that will make it go bad quicker. Your fridge could be borderline freezing, and that's another thing. You have to know how to properly store and maintain your food. That's important. It reduces your food waste. There's a reason you have a crisper drawer and you have like a veggie drawer and a fruit drawer or a dairy drawer, depending on your refrigerator, whether you got two drawers, three drawers, whatever. The reason you have these different drawers is because they don't really, I mean, we don't teach people these things anymore, but certain vegetables need to be colder, certain need to be warmer to optimal temperature for holding. They need more moisture, less moisture. 
you know, that's that's all these variables and refrigerators. So now the fancy ones do have zone temperature control and all this other stuff, but there's a lot of reasons why things are set up that way. And if you're not properly utilizing, if you just shove shit wherever it's handy, your food's going to go bad quicker, which nowadays that's you're throwing out money. So you need to, you know, kind of familiarize yourself with it. Go online, look it up, look at what the vegetables you're li- you like that you're buying are. And see, do they need to be in a moister condition? Do they need to be kept in a drier condition? Do they need to be warmer? Do they need to be colder? Don't let your fridge, I mean, get get a thermometer if you don't have a digital readout on your fridge that tells you what temperature it is. Actually, you should realistically, best practice is to have a one in there any fucking way because, you know, just to be on the safe side. It's Again, this is 27 years of kitchen experience put an extra thermometer in your in your fridge you don't ever trust the fact manufacturer's thermometer it will shit out on you at some point so you get it and, and they're not expensive they're like three or four bucks maybe five or six depending i haven't bought one in a few years so i'm not 100 percent sure but yeah it's just a little bimetallic disc thermometer you set it in the in the fridge Ideally, you put it somewhere towards the front because that's where the warmest part of your fridge is, and you want to make sure your fridge isn't too warm because you don't want your food to rot. What you want to do is you want to keep it under 40 degrees but above, like, 34. Because once you hit 34, you're in that where your food starts freezing, the cellular structure on all your vegetables gets fucked. Then when you take them out and they come start to warm up a little bit, they break down, they start weeping out liquid, and they're fucked. They, they go bad that much quicker. And some of some of your vegetables, realistically, you don't want to store them in the fridge. There's there's there are lists out there, and I'll, I'll try and you know put some links on the on the website form if you want to come check that stuff out. Yeah, it'll take me a couple of days because honestly, I got a lot of other crap going on right now. But I will be adding. It's just something I've been thinking about a lot, and I'm going to be adding a food page to the website where you can go there and get some resources and some information. And hopefully it will help you stretch your food dollar a little bit more. Uh, Like I said, proper storage, proper sourcing. Another thing for proper sourcing is look around at your local communities. Look for farmers markets. Look for uh, meat farms, dairy farms. Look for chicken farms. There are, I know a lot of people that are actually coming out ahead because they've been buying farm fresh eggs from their regular farmers for years. And well, all the commercial market you know, where people used to be like, ha ha, you're paying $2 a dozen for your eggs, buying them directly from the farmer. I go to the grocery store and I'm paying 83 cents a dozen. Ha ha ha, you're a dumbass. Well, yeah, now these same people are still getting their eggs for $2 a dozen from their farmers that they've been buying from for the last 15 years. While everybody else that has all this overhead that's losing their asses to the bird flu is now paying six, seven, eight, nine dollars a fucking dozen. So yeah, who's laughing now? Learn, meet your Meet your local farmers, learn them, source them. Most of them are pretty decent down-to-earth people, and they will work with you. Now, the other side of that is if, if you're a meat eater, if, 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 if you like your beef and your pork and things like that, get a couple friends together, go in, buy an animal, buy a half a cow, buy a quarter of a cow, whatever the farmers are willing to work with you on. It's a shitload of meat. It's several hundred pounds it will <laughs> cost you a very hefty initial investment and you got to have somewhere to put it. You're going to need a chest freezer or a standing freezer, a separate freezer because you're not going to go through it before it goes bad if you try and refrigerate it all. And you're not going to 
be able to fit it in your standard fridge. That's just, you're not. But you're also, as opposed to paying like $13, $14 a pound for steak, you're going to be, I mean, you still, you get the fancier cuts, you get the less fancy cuts, you get ground beef, you get, depending on how you work the deal out and what the price is, you can get the bones, you can get the marrow, you can you can get all sorts of stuff. Me, I want all of it. I want the suet. I want everything if I buy it. And yeah, I might pay six fifty a pound. But granted, that sounds like, you know, oh wow, six six fifty a pound, but you sometimes, you know, the utility parts of the cow are a lot cheaper. They're two, three, four dollars a pound, depending on where you go. Um I think the cheapest I've found recently has been ground beef at, you know, three fifty or no. Three twenty two a pound, I think it was last week. And like I can get inside rounds for three sixty eight a pound or something like that. So, you know, but anyway, so you go to a farmer, you negotiate for a quarter cow, half a cow, whatever. You get a much better overall price, but then there may be some processing fees and things like that. But ultimately, it's going to wind up costing you maybe a couple grand. But when you break it down per pound, you're coming out way the hell ahead. Plus, if you do that directly from the farmers, it's usually you know what you're getting. You're going to get a better quality meat. You're going to a super fresh, super fresh beef just beats the living piss out of something that was processed three states away. So that's something you can do. It makes the quality of your meals better. It makes the cost go down. And like I said, that's kind of one of those collective things. So like I said, if you're going to buy a half a pig or a half a cow or a quarter cow, you're going to need a couple people going on with you, on it with you. I mean, partly to help defer the cost. Unless you're in a position where you can afford to drop, you know, $1,200 on a piece of cow, good for you. I mean, more power to you. I can't fucking do that. If I want to buy a half a cow, I got to get three or four friends in on it, and we're going to split it up, and it's going to be still be two or $300 each. But, like I said, you get way more meat for the money, and like I said, if you're me, you're going to, you're going to get the bones. You're going to roast them off. You're going to make stock. You're going to feed them, feed them to your pets. Um, don't, don't, don't feed your pets cooked bones. Uh, there, there are ways to treat them and process them to make them safe for pets to eat. If you're not going to feed them, let them chew on them on the raw. And if they're going to, if you're going to let them chew on them from a raw state, which is honestly probably the safest for them because you don't have to worry about the bone splintering, make sure you keep them refrigerated so they don't grow bacteria and make your pets sick but do not feed them boiled bones do not feed them stock bones if you're going to feed them bones they should be like shin bones shank bones cow ribs um ideally um, from what i understand the best way to do it is a a cool smoke on them to dry them out cook so the tendons and the meat scraps that are attached to them are dried out so they won't grow bacteria but the bones won't be brittle when they come out of the smoker so the animals can chew on them and get their calcium and get their little meat treats and all that other stuff. But again, it's about utilizing as much product as you can without spending more money than you have to. And, uh, okay. I just noticed this episode's getting kind of long winded, but this is something that I could go on for hours and hours and hours about. And I have, uh, gone on for hours and hours about this in the past, but I guess for now we'll put a pin in it and We'll talk some more. I'm going to try and get better about keeping the show more diverse. So I guess for now, um, let's keep our heads down, take care of each other, do better, be better. And for now, that's what I had to say.
Thanks for listening to another episode, guys. If you liked what you heard, leave a comment, leave a review, leave a rating. Go to IHadToSayItPodcast.com, sign up for the mailing list, interact with the show. Click the links, sign up for the Patreon, join the Discord, come and interact, be a part of the show, buy the merch, support your favorite creator, or support me. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Till next time.